Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast. This is Dan Vienz. I am your host, and this is the rapid reaction to the Seahawks' 27-13 victory today over the New York Giants. The Seahawks improved to 5-3. and three. And here's the cool thing about these reaction shows. They are what they portend to be. They are rapid reaction. I take notes during the game. But I don't put a lot of structure into the show. I mean, I I want to I want to react to what I saw on the field, and I go to every game. I've been a Seahawk. I've been a season ticket holder since 1984, and it's fun to do these home games versus the the road games. And when when they play on the road, I you know I get I get the benefit of the the announcer reaction, the analysis, the replays. When I see them at home, it's more about feel. And it's about vibe and it's about what, what I see in the moment and what I take away from it. And sometimes that's not accurate. If you recall the loss at home to the Falcons earlier this year, their only home loss, the Seahawks moved to three and one on the season at home. I was so upset by Geno Smith's inability to make something happen at the end when they had a chance to cash in on that last drive and pull that game out that it kind of blurred my perception of the entire game. And it was only later in the week when I did uh, my follow-up episode, my preview for the next week, that um, that I believe I came on this microphone and said I was wrong and that Gino played really well. Here was the feeling today. Again, the bottom line, the big picture, Seahawks, 27-13 win over the Giants, or 27-14. Giants came into the game at 6-1, and one, Seahawks at 4-3. and three. Two of the most surprising teams in the NFL. Maybe you lump the Jets in there with them, and those are the top three. You can talk about the Dolphins. There are a lot of surprising teams in the NFL this year. A lot of teams that were expected to be good that aren't. Tampa Bay, the LA Rams. But when you talk about surprises... The Jets, with their big draft class and Tyler Wilson coming back and playing well, second year under Robert Sala. The Giants, first year under Brian Dable. And the Seahawks, who were expected to be a team that was not only rebuilding, but many people perceived as a team that was tanking, that didn't go after Matt Ryan, or Baker Mayfield, didn't make a move to get a quarterback this offseason after trading Ray Russell Wilson because the the perception was they were trying to tank, to, to play for 2023 in what's perceived as an outstanding quarterback draft class and in a year that the Seahawks are going to have two firsts, two seconds, two fifths. And here we are. And we talked about this last week. We touched on it. But it, can, it becomes more evident each and every week that Geno Smith is no longer the storyline. That Geno Smith is now a given. Not only a given in the way that he leads the team each and every week. And for those who thought that the first three weeks, four weeks, Five weeks may have been flukish. 
may have been an example of the league just not catching up to Geno yet. That now we're eight weeks into this thing. That's not a sample size anymore. That's half a season. Geno Smith is a really, really good NFL quarterback. He's a guy that you can win with consistently, week in, week out. And he's a guy that you can look ahead in the future as someone who can lead your football team. And so we'll have those discussions more in depth during the bye week about what that means for the Seahawks as they as they continue forward with draft picks and, and free agent decisions and how to build this roster to the point that you really take that next step into contention. But Geno Smith wasn't the story today. This was the type of game that the Seahawks haven't played yet. And when you're talking about the full scope of who this team is and what they might be able to achieve. This is the type of game that at some point you have to show you can win in the NFL. And the analogy I like to make is when a major league baseball pitcher goes to the mound, doesn't have his stuff, right? When Justin Verlander takes the hill doesn't quite have the bite on his slider he's used to. Maybe he's a couple of ticks lower in velocity on his fastball than he usually is. Doesn't have the best stuff. Can you win on those days? Can you make those adjustments and get by? And here's what I thought throughout this game today. Because this game was low scoring to start with. A lot of, you know, Seahawks had three three and outs in the first half. Three weeks in a row now, we've seen this defense control an opposing offense. So the idea now that this Seahawks defense is a liability, we can set that aside. You can talk about how good Daniel Jones is and 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 whatnot. But this is a Giants team that came into this game. Second in the NFL in rushing by a yard or two. Saquon Barkley, second in the NFL in rushing behind Nick Chubb by a few yards. And Saquon Barkley was not a factor. Was really not a factor. Let's see. What were his numbers on the day? He ran for 53 yards on 20 carries. And what was interesting about this game as well, and I think I take this as a sign of respect to how well the Seahawks have played defensively against the run the last couple of weeks. The first four or five plays the Giants ran, including the first drive when they went three and out, were all pass plays. Saquon Barkley, 20 carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And the only touchdown in the game for the Giants happened at the very end of the first half when Tyler Lockett fumbled a football at the two-yard line and the Giants, it took him two Saquon Barkley carries to get into the end zone to keep this game close. They took Saquon Barkley and they eliminated, it. They eliminated him from the game. They controlled Daniel Jones. 
didn't hurt them running the football, even though he had run for almost 350 yards on the season. Was the what did we talk about in the preview? Was the 24th leading rusher in the NFL as a whole as a quarterback? He was 17 out of 31 for 176 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, five sacks. The Seahawks got to him five times. Really kept him in the pocket, kept him under control. That Seahawks defense that we've seen make these adjustments. <laughs> Let's not talk about where this was. The first six games, it's there now. And it's legitimate. Three games now where they've controlled the run and been able to put pressure on the quarterback. And we talked about in the preview how the Giants really didn't have any dynamic weapons to fall back on. They traded Kadarius Toney this week to the Kansas City Chiefs. He was in the doghouse, weren't using him anyway. Ken, Kenny Dolliday continues to be injured and out. Darius Slayton's our best receiver. Five catches, 66 yards. Daniel Bellinger was their leading touchdown receiver with two on the season. He was out inactive today. So the Giants really didn't. You felt like early on, here's my 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 initial blush on this game, early on watching it in person, you felt like the Giants could not drive the field. And so if the Seahawks could just get a lead, they would control this football game. And it felt that way late the second quarter. Really felt like this game was going to be in hand, and it was just a matter of time until the locket fumble and the kind of the fluky touchdown. Here's what I'll say, too. On offense, Geno Smith's numbers on the day, 23 out of 34, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, 104 passer rating. Geno's wide receivers were not kind to him today. Let's go to my game notes. Uh, in the first half, uh, first of all, really surprising. We wake up today to the news that DK Metcalf was going to be active. I talked in the preview about how um, a lot of uh, doctors and officials thought that two to four weeks was reasonable for DK on that patella tendon injury. Um, I said on the show a couple of days ago that I would prefer to just be cautious and hold him out. He played today and he played regularly and he played the whole way through on the second drive. He wasn't in the football game. Derek young was, and I thought, okay, either he tweaked it or this is the plan. He's on a pitch count. No, maybe that was their way of rewarding young for all his practice reps. But DK was in there, um, for most of the game. But he had some early drops, and there were some missed opportunities to him. Um, he had one drop in particular at about the two-yard line on a, on a deep ball that would have given the Seahawks um, a great red zone opportunity early in the game when the score was uh, when the, it was a scoreless tie, where Gino couldn't have thrown the ball any better. And I thought this was a, a good example if you, if you remember the player, if you go back and watch it where DK tried to one-hand the ball over his shoulder, and this just goes to show you, as supremely talented as this guy is, as a receiver, I think he still has some room for development. There's still some ceiling there that hasn't been reached yet. If you think back to the, I think it was the first of the two Marquise Goodwin touchdowns against the Chargers the week before, if you go back and watch the replay of that, that DK drop, if he just squares his shoulders and just turns his shoulders towards the line of scrimmage and goes with two hands falling backwards, 
That's a catch Julio Jones makes. DeAndre Hopkins makes. Don't try to one-hand it, running away so you can get in the end zone. Just make the catch. I feel like that's a play that was left on the field. Uh, Tyler Lockett also dropped a touchdown right in his hands. Really uncharacteristic game for Tyler. Had the fumble at the two. And also dropped a ball right at the pylon on a flag route that was an absolute dime from Geno Smith. And he dropped it for the touchdown. A couple other notes just from sitting in my seat at the game. One minute left in the first quarter. It was a third and 13. And there was a play that I think exemplifies everything that you need to know about Geno Smith and where he's at in his progression, where he's at as a quarterback in the NFL today. He threw a football that was not wide open, not easy, into coverage, where he had to manipulate himself in the pocket, got a little bit of pressure from the right side, ducked away from it, stepped up slightly, gunned a ball into DK, into coverage, in a tight window for the first down conversion. His trust in, A, his arm, his ability to get it there, also his ability to throw the football over the middle of the field, and his trust in his receiver to make a play is something that we haven't seen in the last five or six years from the previous quarterback. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, Marquise Goodwin also dropped what would have been an easy touchdown. Gino was much better than his numbers today. And again, 23 out of 34, two touchdowns, 104 passer ratings. He had three touchdown passes dropped. Um, Late in the first half, I thought there was a key drive where uh, in my notes, I think it was late in the first half, um, goes to show you the mindset of Pete Carroll right now, the mindset of this football team. And also just how in touch they were with the feel of how this game was going. And this is something we haven't always seen from Pete. At times, it's been a weakness. This was a slugfest. This was a grind them out, 0-0 defensive football game. Seahawks finally got a drive going. And they had two fourth down and shorts. They had a fourth and one just outside the red zone. Went for it, got it. Then they're inside the 10, get stopped on a third down play that looked promising. It's fourth and two. Rather than take the chip shot field goal, Pete goes for it again on fourth and two. They get the first down. And that long drive culminated in a score. And that's what brings me to this point. We've talked from week one until this point about how perception of this team has changed. But some of that talk has been very trepidatious, very hesitant. Like, I don't want to jinx this team. Let's knock on wood. They've been playing well. They're exceeding expectations. But this was a team that Vegas placed the over-under at the beginning of the season at five and a half wins. How many people took the over? We're eight games into a 17-game season. We're not even officially to the halfway point of the season. Seahawks are halfway to 10 wins. (laughs) Halfway to 10 wins. 
And now they're playing like it. They're making decisions within the framework of the game that are different than we expected. They're playing to win now. They're, this is not a rebuilding year. This is not a tanking year. And if I'm doing my job correctly, I'm going to stop talking about that stuff. At the very least after the bye week. This is not a team that's rebuilding. This is not a team that's tanking. This is a good football team. They showed it today. They went up against a good football team. A team that was 6-1. and one. You can argue that it was a little fluky. Four of their six wins were against losing teams. All of their, their, their wins, their six wins, were by an average of four and a half points a game. They've been pulling games out at the end. Daniel Jones hasn't been dynamic in the passing game. But they've been playing good defense, running the football. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> they've been playing like some old Pete Carroll teams, right? And yet here we are. And the Seahawks are firmly in first place in the NFC West. With half of the season still ahead of them. Around the rest of the NFC West today, by the way, the Cardinals lose to the Vikings to drop to 3-5. and five. And then the 49ers playing the Rams. The Rams coming off a bye week, and they lose 31-14 to 14 to the 49ers. So the standings as they sit, Seahawks all alone at 5-3 and three in first place. 49ers are now 4-4. Four and four. The Rams are 3-4. and four. And the Rams, surprisingly enough, the Rams just look like they're not very good offensively. And the Cardinals in the last place at 3-5. and five. Seahawks travel to Arizona to play the Cardinals for the second time in three weeks next week. Then they go to Germany, play the Buccaneers, who are coming off a three-game losing streak before the bye. Uh, let's talk about the Seahawks' defense. We talked about how consistent they've been now three games in a row of, of being able to bottle up uh, good defenses. And say what you want about Daniel Jones. The Giants were the second-best running defense in the NFL, and the Seahawks took that away from them. Let's talk about some of my notes during the game. Uh, Tariq Wolin <laughs> barely got picked on today. The Giants just stayed away from him. Again, they don't really have that guy, that dude that can go after him. But they didn't even throw his way. And when they finally did late in the game, when they had to make something happen, they're down by two scores. Tariq Woolen makes a play and knocks the ball away. Eight games into his rookie year, the fifth-round draft pick out of a small school who's only played corner for two years and was expected to be a project is a guy that teams won't even throw to now. But let's talk about the guy on the other side, too, because Mike Jackson isn't getting enough attention. He gets knocked down in the draft the year he comes out of Miami because he didn't run a good 40. I remember doing mock drafts that year, and I liked him, and I would take him in the fifth or sixth round sometimes. Big, strong, physical corner. Kind of reminds me of Byron Maxwell in some ways. Signed as an afterthought at the end of last year. We all thought he only got to play during the preseason because Sidney Jones and Artie Burns got hurt. Trey Brown wasn't back yet. Mike Jackson's 
good. He's always around the ball. He knocked the ball away a couple of times. He's not on the stat sheet. He's not picking balls off. He's not making the flashy plays. But he's really good. And the Seahawks on the back end are a really good pass coverage team. Um, talked about drops. That was a big deal today. They won in spite of it. I also want to give some love to Shelby Harris. Really didn't show up on the stat sheet. Didn't make a lot of flashy plays until the, the end of the game and then really came through with a couple of plays. Um, and then same with Ken Walker. So Ken Walker has been dominant the last couple of weeks, has been one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. The last couple of weeks, the auction went to him early and often. He had 18 carries on the year for or on the day for only 51 yards. But, and this is what I think says the most about this guy. The Giants clearly came in with a plan to try and stop Ken Walker. And yet, with the game still close in the fourth quarter, Walker comes up with a touchdown run. I think it was a nine-yard touchdown run. If you haven't seen the highlights yet, go find it. It shows you everything you need to know about this dude. This guy isn't scoring touchdowns because the seas are parting because there's wide open gaps he's running through. He's making guys miss. He's making good decisions instinctively. He made a guy, I think it was number 26. He made a guy miss today on about his third move to get to the edge and get in the end zone to basically ice this game that made uh, that player look like a fool. I'd have to go back and see who it is. And you can see it in the end zone camera. You can see it was one of the defensive backs. Uh, just kind of bury his head in the turf. <laughs> this guy, he's so instinctive. You know, running backs come out of college every year that have, that are big, strong, fast, have all the 40 times, have the, the great combine. To me, running the football, being a running back in the NFL is about instinct and feel. And Ken Walker is elite. It's fun to watch. And so the Seahawks win and actually make it look easy and dominant at the end of the day when even during the first half when it was close the whole time. On the scoreboard, it looked close. But it felt like a game that was in control. And I think that says a lot about the offense. Uh, one injury of concern, Austin Blythe left the game in the first half, didn't come back in, looked like a leg injury, didn't seem to be favoring it, walked off on his own power, went into the medical tent, went to the locker room. Don't have details on it yet. That would be a big concern. However, as concerned as I was about Kyle Fuller coming in for him, the offense operated pretty efficiently after that. Um. I could talk for 10 minutes about what I saw from Shane Waldron today. We'll save that for another episode. Kind of focus on that a little bit more. But, you know, bottom line, Seattle Seahawks improved to 5-3. and three, Maintain their uh, stronghold uh, at first place in the NFC West. Moved to five and three after a twenty-eight or twenty-seven to fourteen win over the New York Giants. Next week it's at Arizona, then at Tampa Bay in Germany, and then the bye week. This team could be seven and three. This is the first time they didn't play really well, made some mistakes, still came away with the win. This is fun, you guys. Enjoy this. I'll be back later this week. Uh, very special 
A um, couple of episodes coming up this week. I don't want to give too much away. I uh, have an interview with a starting Seahawks defensive player coming up in a couple of days. And then a uh, very special guest lined up for later in the week. So um, check back in and follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Uh, subscribe to the podcast so you get notification of new episodes from me and Dana. And read fieldgoals.com because they are the one-stop shopping place. For everything you need, Seattle Seahawks. I am Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Seahawks are five and three. Enjoy it. Go Hawks. Talk to you soon.